recorded live from Space Coast Podcast Studios in Melbourne, Florida. This is The Cannabis Report with Michael Patterson, brought to you by MGMC Pharma Group, where we make a difference. Check out the virtual tour of our cannabis cultivation facility on our website, mgmc-group.com. Now here's your host, Michael Patterson. What's up, what's up, what's up? How's everybody doing? Way again? I looked the wrong way again. I'm looking this, this way, this way. Yeah. As you can see, Mark is at the Southern Studios today. About the two Space hours. Coast Podcast South Studios in right. Boynton Beach, Florida. In Boynton Beach, Florida. And he is, he is blessing us with a new rugby jersey because today well, is the Australia show. We're going to have an amazing guy on, a self-proclaimed cannabis nerd, Reese Cohen, He's a baller down down under, and so Mark is representing. So if you're not like this is a this is not new. This is vintage. Okay, this is over twenty years old. This Australian yeah, jersey. But it's so a different I just jersey want you to know than you wore last vintage, time. Vintage jersey. Yes, vintage jersey. So if for those of for those of most of the world who probably don't follow rugby, which you and I and Reese does a little bit, I'm sure, can you explain what that shirt is and what team is it? Well, it is the country of Australia. You can see there the wrong side. The, there you go. The Wallabies. What is the, the Wallabies? Wallabies? And so they, Australia used to be really good at rugby, and then New Zealand just, you know, basically took over. So their little brother, New Zealand, is way much better than the older brother. Of course, you know, half the country likes rugby there, uh, but they play a, a different one called rugby league, and then then they have you know the Australia football, well, they got footy, blah, which blah, is blah. footy, yes footy footy yes. they call it footy so yes that's what it is and i'm in the south studio but one's on the podcast i look exactly the same pretty much so if you're unfamiliar with our show is we focus on cannabis issues around the world and we want to have a good time doing it because it's a fun industry we want to bring high level great people from around the planet to talk mark is our producer um working with all these different stuff mark um uh has been has followed my journey in the cannabis space uh, since i began over eight years ago my background's in healthcare administration um we had on a previous episode um, which would be episode seven. We had our one singular fan. If you're out there, you're more than one fan. That's great. Uh, had a guy named Ken here in the studio, and we were just joking with Ken. He stopped by. He came from my previous life of being in the nursing home industry. So you can convert from any other industry into cannabis if you want to. It's all about what you want to do in this industry and how you want to move forward. So uh, with that, with the show, we start with the first section of the news. So, Mark, go ahead and take us into the news. It's time for Cannabis News. Cannabis News, sponsored by U.S. Cannabis Pharmaceutical Research and Development, from developing the world's largest hemp cannabis research zone to establishing the value chain for global cannabis trade. U.S. Cannabis' mission is to move society forward through legalized cannabis. For more information on how we can help your cannabis project change the world, go to USC prd.com so michael a new study shows cannabis reduces inflammatory storms caused by covid19 promising new study out of canada offers data that some cannabis strains help reduce a specific type of inflammatory distress called cytokine storm that precedes severe cases of acute respiratory distress due to covid19 In a study conducted by researchers at Pathway Research Incorporated, the University of Calgary, and the University of Lethbridge, scientists used artificial human skin 
the skin tissue model was exposed to UV rays to cause induced inflammation. And the model was then treated with seven different cannabis strains to see the efficacy in reducing inflammation. Study found cannabis may tame or reduce the severity of COVID-19. And one of the main causes of severe COVID-19 that precedes acute respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS is a influx of pro-inflammatory cytokines, which is also known as a cytokine storm. The treatment addition of cannabis extracts help curb inflammation and prevent fibrosis and lead to disease remission. One of the study's main researchers, Dr. Igor uh, Kavlachuk, has studied the anti-inflammatory potential for cannabis for years. And he says, before COVID, we had studied the anti-inflammatory effect for over a hundred strains, identified a couple dozen with strong potential, and even filed several patents on them for use with RA, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, intestinal and skin inflammation, and oral inflammation. As to specific chemicals, our analysis shows that CBD or THC alone do not have the same effect. We strongly believe in the full-spectrum entourage-based effects. Out of the seven cannabis strains used in the study, three were deemed most effective. And those three strains contained, two of them was 14.7% THC, uh, less than a percent CBD, and then you have CBGA and CBN. And Mike will comment on that in a second. The third one had 25% THC and 1.35% CBD. The researchers conclude that these cannabis extracts can be useful additions to the current anti-inflammatory regimens to treat COVID-19, as well as various rheumatological diseases and conditions, the inflammatory underpinning of aging and frailty. So Mike and I are on talk on the show about cannabis saving the world. And this study shows that cannabis can help with COVID severe cases of COVID-19. Now, Mike, before you comment on that, what is CBGA and CBN? So, so basically all these CBs and CBG and CBN and THC and CBD are all cannabinoids. So cannabinoids are, um, are chemicals that are in a plant, uh, in the cannabis plant as well as a hemp plant, and each of these chemicals do something a little bit different. Most people know about CBD, which is cannabidiol, which is, is primary, and, and here in the States is readily available over the counter, or it's now legal. But also you have THC, which is illegal. That's the stuff that people say gets you high. So all these other minor cannabinoids have a lot of medical benefit. And so from this study, you don't need to know everything about the study just in general. If you're looking at it at a high level, the most important thing to understand is now that, that we're demonstrating research with COVID-19 as well as, as uh, cannabis, you're going to see more money coming in for research from governments because... This is where a lot of that funding is coming from. They need to look at everything. We are aware of a study right now going on in Italy with THCV um, or maybe THCA, which is another cannabinoid, to where it actually helps with uh, similar similar things, the anti-inflammatory that marked the, the, the research study that you talked about. So you're going to start hearing more about this. And the important thing is to understand is that this is going to increase the factual data coming on around cannabis. And you're going to start to decrease the amount of ideology. Now, when we talk to Reese about our Australian ideology, from my, what I see as an American, it's still really strong in Australia. They're having to get past this mental thing about having cannabis as a medicine. So COVID-19 
ironically, is actually helping the industry because now we're moving into an essential service as cannabis in most countries, not just America. I can tell you we operate in Africa and multiple countries. It's an essential service because it's a medicine. Um, so. And also on top of the research, now the ideology is fading, science is coming up, and that's exactly where we want to be as an industry. Moving to our next story, our guest today will be uh, not going to be happy about this. We're talking about his little brother, New Zealand. New Zealand ends annual cannabis eradication operation. The New Zealand national law enforcement officials have scrapped their annual cannabis eradication operation, which costs taxpayers more than $700,000 per year to fund hundreds of hours of helicopter flight time. The operation was ditched due to a lack of support from the country's 12 police districts, the report states. A police spokeswoman said the one-size-fits-all annual aerial national cannabis operation no longer represents the most appropriate deployment of police resources as communities face increased harm from other drugs particularly methamphetamine while we pour resources into cannabis methamphetamine is wreaking havoc on communities we hope that this changed approach represents a shift in police prioritization in October, New Zealand voters rejected a cannabis legalization ballot initiative by a final of 50.7 to 48.4. So it almost passed, Mike, but it didn't. They're erratic. They're not doing their eradications anymore. What is the impact of that ruling? Well, the impact is is awesome. Okay, so touche is how many people have said around the world. You know, they just need to put it on more more appropriate things and more things that are benefiting or hurting society more, methamphetamines, heroin, cocaine, what have you. So I just think this is awesome. I think you're starting to see, and I got to give New Zealand a lot of credit. We'll be talking to some people who are actually in New Zealand soon. Uh, I know that Reese will give us some good insight on New Zealand because I know New Zealand and uh, Australia are very similar when it comes to the healthcare side, and uh, Reese can explain that. But anyway, what I see is you're starting to see this shift because even though it barely lost or did not pass this time to do recreational cannabis in Australia, in, excuse me, New Zealand. Um, it was so close, and as I've said previously, that you you need two to three times to get this to pass. Uh, California, when they legalized in 2016, they actually tried it in 2012, and it didn't did failed. In Florida, we tried medical cannabis in 20 um, in 2014, it failed, and medical cannabis came back in 2016, and it passed. Um, you're seeing Mississippi passed on now the first time. You had South Dakota passed on the first time. Arizona went wreck on the first time. So. <laughs> Excuse me. If you don't follow this industry, the change, the speed of change is, is increasing, and so we we mentioned in in, uh, in before in previous shows about the state of Arizona. They went legalized in November of twenty twenty, and in almost uh, January February they're already open and, and having stores and and selling and so forth and so on because they already had a medical program. But what this tells me, New Zealand is they're starting to they're starting to lead the world. And we need to start looking more at New Zealand and what they're trying to do because they're taking a very practical approach to this. Well, we're going to take a puddle jumper over on our next article to Australia. We can accent my shirt here. Australia is poised to become a leader in medicinal cannabis after a landmark $92 million deal with the European Union. The first batch of Australian-grown dried medical medicinal cannabis has been sent to Europe with two tons of it to be shipped to Germany over the next 18 months. This is the first stage of a 10-year deal struck between the Australian Natural Therapeutics Group, 
ANTG and the EU. ANTG has become the first Australian grower to access the burgeoning EU market, which is on track to become the world's largest legal market. Health Minister Greg Hunt predicted strong growth in the medicinal cannabis industry over the next 12 months, saying Australia is well-placed to take advantage. Australia's gold standard regulation of medicinal cannabis products coupled with a premium agricultural and manufacturing industry means we are well positioned to become a preferred supplier to the global market. This has the potential to create jobs and boost economic growth in Australia as we look to new and different export channels. In Germany alone, cannabis is projected to become a $12.4 billion industry by 2028. While the German cannabis industry is still in its infancy, it's the third largest market globally behind the U.S. and Canada. Now, they're going to have to export all this cannabis because medicinal cannabis is heavily restricted in Australia but can be prescribed if deemed clinically appropriate. And the Therapeutic Goods Association granted 25000 applications from Australian doctors to prescribe the product in 2019. So, Mike, put that in relation to Florida, how many uh, prescriptions or how many you, uh, people are using medical cannabis So here yeah, in the state. So, so you have to keep in mind, and, so, and we'll get into this when Reese comes on, but uh, Australia has about 25 million people. And so in America, we have 330 million people. So they're doing, you know, Reese and I talked offline, 30 to 50,000 patients in medical cannabis in Australia right now. Limited. Um, to give you an idea, the state of Florida right now, we have almost 500,000 medical cannabis patients. We're going up 5,000 patients a week. But ideologically, we're ahead, of, we're ahead of Australia because we've seen this for so long. I mean, uh, California's been legal since 96 for medical cannabis. So, you know, I think it's going to take some time. The fact that the, the thing I'm excited about is Australia is becoming a stepping off point for Germany and, and Europe in general. Because if I'm a publicly traded company in Australia, then I only have 25 million people to sell to. So I have to be able to sell more product to other places. And so um, when Reese comes on, I know he'll discuss about how, um, how how does that viewpoint go in Australia? You're, I've heard, you know, talking to all my people in Australia, they're like, we're on the edge of the earth here. So we have to have uh, partnerships. We have to work with other countries. And so I want Australia to be that finishing place. So what I see Australia doing is they'll grow some there, but I foresee them getting cheaper product from equator countries in Asia as well as Africa, uh, potentially Latin America. We, we have heard that... That the TGA, which is the FDA of Australia, not too wild about product coming in from Latin America due, the, due to the perceived drug trade from the 80s and the 90s in Colombia. And so that stigma is, is still sticking there. So I think it's it's very good for Australia to start doing this this uh, now in, imports into Germany. Um, also for our, our viewers to and, and uh, listeners, Germany is going to be big right now. They have almost 100,000 medical cannabis patients. Um, it doesn't sound like that big, but they have socialized medicine. And Americans, a lot of them don't like socialized medicine, but socialized medicine is paying for cannabis. So maybe you'll start changing your tune when it starts paying for your medicine and it's cannabis. And so it's definitely coming here in the States. But I think it's a very good step forward. Well, Mike, that's it for the news. We've teased our uh, guests uh, for a really long time. So why don't I just go ahead with the introduction? Go ahead. Let's take a walkabout and head to the land down under with our guest today. He's Director of Cannabis Consulting Australia, which provides strategic advice, market analysis, and network introductions to the cannabis space. He's appeared on ABC News, Australian Financial Review, and MJ Biz Daily. But the pinnacle of his career is obviously right now on the Cannabis Report with Michael Patterson. 
Wolverine <laughs> and Thor have nothing on this Australian superhero. I mean, could those two have written the first white paper on medical cannabis in Australian history? I think not. His LinkedIn page states he's a, his superhero name is Australian Cannabis Nerd, with a picture of him feeding a koala and throwing a boomerang. Throw another shrimp on the bobby and give a warm cannabis report welcome to Reese Cohen. Hey, how you doing, buddy? How you doing? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Awesome Jeez. to have you on the show. Good morning nice over in here. Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Great great to be here, guys. Thanks for the high-energy introduction, man. <laughs> I, it's, uh, it's, it's been a while since I've heard an American describe an Australian so, um, so precisely. So thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Woo, I love it, Reese. Coming back strong. Well, dude, so glad to have you here. And so um, please tell us a little bit about you know you and your company, and then let's mm-hmm. really get into this Australia market. I really want the American audience listening to really understand what's going on down there. Cool. Yeah, so I'm a freelance consultant. So I do yeah basically whatever anyone wants to pay me to do um, <laughs> in the cannabis industry that's legal. Uh, caveat, caveat, right? Yeah, right. So uh, yeah, a, a lot of the work I do is um, chatting with especially international companies looking to come to Australia in some way, shape or form and needing to know, you know, what's going on, lay of the land, you know, who's who's who. Uh, who's worth talking to, um, and and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I uh, I've been around the traps for a while since sort of 2015 or so. I've been doing this kind of work, um, and it's been a lot of fun. And I can tell you that the cannabis industry in Australia is weird, and I mean, like you know, like any cannabis industry is right. weird and wonderful in its own right. way. And it's it's transformed like multiple times in yeah. the last few years. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's been an interesting um, path to follow. That's for sure. It, but yeah, it, ready to happy to happy to 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 kick on and and, and answer your Australian sure. Sure. So let's let's start with the basics. So if oh. I if I'm a uh, somebody listening to this, what is the current medical cannabis rules now? And then like how many people? Because we're here in thirty to fifty thousand. And then how? Mm-hmm. What is their perception kind of with doctors kind of in, in in you know approving this? Got it. So medical cannabis is supported by something like ninety percent of Australians. Um, so public support for medical cannabis is really high. Um, when the medical cannabis law was passed in 2016, they had unanimous support in both houses of parliament. So there wasn't a single politician wow. who, who spoke out against the legalization of medical cannabis. Um, now that's not to say that everything's been, you know, sunshine and roses. Uh, the initial regulatory framework that was put in place was really paranoid, really conservative, really mm-hmm. con- overly concerned about diversion and that kind of thing. Right. Um, but it has evolved quite significantly sort of since then, I guess. So, you know, in terms of how doctors feel about it, so Australia is a very doctor-led um, medical cannabis sector. So mm-hmm. this is a prescription model. Doctors write actual prescriptions, not cards, not recommendations, but real prescriptions for medicines that are dispensed through pharmacies. So their opinion is really relevant, uh, of course, to the to to the pace at which this industry grows. Um, we've had quite a few really early adopters. So there's a, there's quite a large uh, sector of medicinal cannabis doctors and medicinal cannabis clinics that specialize in prescribing cannabis and, and they're well known. Um, I would say in the general doctor community, I, I, you know, from surveys that have been conducted, and this is a few years ago now, but general practitioners on the whole are, are probably 50-50 split between thinking it's worth looking at and thinking it's garbage. Um, but the there's a lot because of how cannabis is regulated in Australia. There's an additional 
uh, learning step that needs to be undertaken by doctors before they really feel comfortable prescribing medicinal cannabis. So, so it's not as easy as any other medicine might be. So even if a doctor doesn't think the cannabis is bad or thinks that it might actually be useful, um, you know, only only a small fraction of those doctors will be confident enough to actually go ahead and pursue a prescription. So what, what that's meant is, you know, we had a very slow start in terms of patients in this country. So, you know, 2016, 2017, you know, we had a few dozen maybe. Uh, 2018, there were some changes put in place to streamline patient access processes, which have been really impactful. So we started off 2020 with about 15,000 patients. We finished 2020 with 30 to 50,000 patients, maybe, and that's likely to double next year. So um, we're definitely hitting that point at which uh, the acceleration is is pretty pronounced, um, which is which is good overall. You know, it makes the it makes the industry more viable here. Um, although, like you say, we are primarily uh, well, most of the larger companies here are are primarily concerned with exports. Right, right. So, and, and to put that into perspective, you know, thirty to 50,000 patients, um, some states here have that, and they maybe have six licenses that I can only sell in that state. So you guys are like, hey, I, I can be a publicly traded company in Australia, and I can do cannabis pharmaceuticals, and I can ship around the world, which is great. Yeah. But like you're saying is like anytime, one of the things I talk about, Reese, is anytime you, you create a new system, regulatory system, whether it be state, federal, whatever, it takes about two to three years to really start taking mm-hmm. off. And it sounds like you guys are starting um, and it's, it just hadn't really taken off yet. It's, it's gaining momentum. That's what it sounds like. Um, and to put that in perspective from the U.S. style here in Florida, when we hit about, uh, like I mentioned, we're about half a million people. When we hit about 150,000 patients, that's when we started seeing things start start moving quicker and quicker. And so we went from zero to 100,000 patients in uh, about two years. And then we went to, to 100 to 200,000 patients in six months. And now we're going up like 100,000 patients every couple months, which is exciting. And so I think what we saw here and what I, I assume is going to happen in, in Australia is as people become more comfortable with this, and they tell their family and their friends about it, then they're more likely to accept it on a global, on a bigger scale across the country. Would you, would you agree? I'd agree. And I think it's, I think it's also more in Australia, the way I see it is it's less to do with how the general community feels about medical cannabis, although that is important, but like Australians already like the idea of medical cannabis and believe that it's useful. The, the barriers have been, um, regulatory barriers to patient yep. access, which are now largely removed. Yep. And that leaves the cost of the products yes. and the cost of the doctor consultations. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and finding a doctor who's, um, who's, who's willing to consider medical cannabis. Now, uh, but we have seen like product prices have come down. So Australia is really trade exposed. Sort of generally our economy is structured in that way. Uh, and the same is true for cannabis. So, you know, we, we now have well over 150 different medical cannabis products for doctors to choose. Okay. From which is kind of crazy. If you think it's thirty thousand patients and one hundred and fifty different, right. at least one hundred and fifty different products at the moment, and there's more coming online every day, right? Yeah. And you know, a lot of those are from uh, Europe and and Canada, even some from the states. Yeah. Um, and that's that's uh, contributing to a lot of price competition. So prices have been coming down pretty steadily every quarter, you know, since twenty seventeen, uh, and we're now getting to the point where medical cannabis prices are starting to approach black market cannabis prices. It's good. Um, which is, you know, that's where the that's where the, the change happens, right? And what I've seen is is if you look at across the mainly across the U.S. but in some other countries, if you can keep black market price and, and retail price within about twenty twenty five percent, most people are going to go to the store. 
What we find is if when you go above that, 30, 35, 50%, like in LA, when they legalized, um, they were having 50, 60% tax. And people were like, why am I going to pay this when I can go to my buddy and get my bag? And yes, I want to use it for medical, but I'm not going to pay those prices. So that's kind of what we're seeing in that respect. And then tell me about um, what I'm hearing is about the compounding pharmacists getting involved in making medication. Mm -hmm. Is that still going on down there? Yeah, that's that's really taken off. So um, the reason why it's taken off, well, there's two reasons. One is normally if you're prescribing like a branded product, mm -hmm. as we call them, um, you need to get a, a little permission from the federal government first. And it's an online form. It, it maybe takes like 10, 15 minutes per patient if you haven't done it very, very often. And it takes a couple of days to come back. Um, and that allows you to write a prescription. But with a compounded medicine, you don't need that approval. You can just write a script for a compounded medicine and you don't need to bother with that approval process. So that's reason number one. Reason number two, you know, cause uh, these compounded products are not manufactured in a pharmaceutical, you know, manufacturing facility right. as, as, as we would expect for any other medicine. Um, the cost of manufacturing tend to be lower depending on a few other things. And, you know, they can, they can get away with using uh, lower quality or, you know, less, less tightly regulated um, inputs. You know, right. So, um, so that's been that's been taking off for a while. We don't really know how widespread that practice is because there's no federal government approvals. So there's no one tracking how many prescriptions there are for these kinds of products. So it's kind of hard to say. But word on the street is yeah, it's been quite popular. It, but that's um, caused a bit of concern with the regulators because you know it's becoming common practice and it's becoming right. much more routine and widespread than compounding anything should be you know according right. to the guidelines right so that's now being reviewed at the moment um uh, by the federal health department and it's interesting if you're not familiar with compounding so so basically and and reese if i go off track here let me know so sure. typically in the u.s is compounding is where you take primarily creams or you take oils and you mix them together in typical small batches and most times that's done through pharmacists so you'll have in the U.S. you have a compounding pharmacy license, so you are allowed to do that. So think lidocaine as a cream with something with lanolin or whatever you mix it together. So with cannabis, I, I'm assuming it's something similar where the pharmacist can come in and make small batches of a specific medication using a THC yeah. or CBD based a base of product and then mixing it with mm -hmm. other stuff. That's right, except that they're not meant to make any sized batch at all. It's, it's meant to be a per patient on demand um, process. Okay. So there's meant to be no batch manufacturing that's going on. But there are concerns that batch manufacturing is happening for cannabis medicines, right. which is partly why this greater attention is being uh, focused on the sector at the moment. Yeah. It, I'm glad they are because right now, you know, and, and Reese and I travel in, in very similar circles. And just if you're unaware, the global cannabis space is, is actually pretty small. And so I tell people globally, the movers and shakers, which Reese is, of course, and I am, of course, um, you could probably fit in a high school gym around the whole mm. world. And, and to me, in another two or three years, they'll fit in massive football, soccer, rugby stadiums. So the industry's starting to take off. You're going to have a lot more people coming in. Um, but in regards to your CBD market, so there's been a lot of talk about Australia moving into over-the-counter CBD later this year. Can you kind of explain what that would involve and where we are with that process? Yep. So uh, where do I start? So um, yes, you're right. So it, Come February, um, the, the the drug laws will be changed so that it, it will allow the possibility of low-dose CBD products to be sold behind the counter. So ph pharmacists dispenses that, that 
product to a patient. By low dose, I mean 150 milligrams per day, um, which okay. which is which is considered a, a low dose, um, and only to adults. And there are a few other caveats. Um, so that that is happening. The 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 little um, uh, bump in the road here for cannabis companies is that unlike the prescription cannabis situation in Australia where you know you can get this special approval from the government and that allows you to prescribe these products that actually haven't been registered as medicines in Australia yet so technically you shouldn't be able to prescribe them but there are these sort of like special access routes mm. you know so that's how we do prescription cannabis in Australia okay but unlike that the rules will say the only over the counter CBD products that will be available are ones that have been registered as a medicine with the government and drug that's F, you know that's like FDA level drug registration that's right. what that's talking about so that that is proving that is running clinical trials to prove that your product is effective for treating a specific indication you know it, it, at a rate that is greater than a placebo uh, at the maximum daily dose of 150 milligrams you know so that that's a that's a very expensive and uh, you know both time and money in, intensive exercise that relies on proving clinical efficacy you know so uh, there's naturally and you know there should be a lot of optimism and, and excitement about that it's a it's a cool opportunity but um a lot of people naively assume that um oh well you know i'll just be able to walk into any pharmacy and get my cbd no or, or, or companies assume oh i'll be able to you know sell my cbd to whatever and you're like no 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 no, no guys this is this is a this is a multi-million dollar investment mm. that you must make and it's also a risky investment because it it's its success is predicated on proving clinical efficacy which you know, no one has done at those at those doses in this well, way before. And I agree with you. So let me ask you this: So if mm. if you got U.S. companies who want to come in there and they can show data from the U.S. because right now mm. we're we're um, we've been uh, working with a group that's doing um, data on liver toxicity for the FDA for their their latest study. So say if a right. company came over and said, "Hey, we demonstrated through this and this and this, and we got you know it's not FDA approved yet, but we have the clinical tr data to back it up." Could it could a mm -hmm. quote a American uh, CBD company come over there and sell product? It's possible. I mean, you would need to have conducted so, like you know, having having done toxicity tests would would give you a big a bit of a leg up. Okay. But it's not. It's but we need safety toxicity, uh, you know, and efficacy. Okay. And efficacy is the is the real missing link here, right? So you know, unless unless this company has already run large scale phase three placebo controlled clinical trials, you know, in a way that that is convincing enough to prove efficacy. Uh, they would still need to do that. And, you know, like most health regulators, the the Australian health regulator tends to prefer clinical trial data that's been done in country. Um, of course. You know, just because yes. th that's how they prefer it, right? <laughs> right, right. So, you know, that might that might make some additional challenges. Although, you know, you know, and this is this is an exciting opportunity because like Australia actually really, we, we punch above our weight in terms of clinical research globally. So it's relatively cheap and quick and easy to run clinical trials in general in Australia. And that is doubly so for cannabis medicines. Um, and, you know, so we have Australian companies that are running, you know, multi-site clinical trials with a site in Australia, a site in the States, a site in the UK. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those, those kinds of multi-site um, study results are particularly compelling. So there's nothing stopping a US company from, uh, in fact, it would be quite attractive to explore having a an Australian site uh, for a a large clinical trial that's you know headquartered in the states, for example. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so, the what do you see with this quote barrier um, for the CBD industry to start to take off? When do you think you'll actually be able to walk into a pharmacy and get CBD products? Maybe two years. Okay, so you're a realist. Yeah. 
Yeah. I like it. I like but, you it. Know, in, in, the, you know. in, in the meantime, we have a thriving black market, uh, a thriving CBD black market. Yes. On mostly online. Yeah. Um, plenty of Australians buy CBD online, not even realizing that they're breaking the law uh, or that the that products crazy. they're buying are unregulated. Right. You know? So if they're coming from the States, they're all unregulated. Pretty much. I mean, they're, yeah. they're putting in the, the regulations. But I got to tell you, some of the regulations, like in the UK, we, we were talking to Dr. Callie Seaman. And so she was like, yeah, that the it, I think it was 80, 90 percent of the market there is all online CBD orders. You know, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. In that respect. Uh, yeah. I have a question for for Reese. Actually, I have I have a couple questions, Reese. Now, uh, one, can you comment on the background of the, the story that I was uh, I read about uh, Australia National Therapeutics Group, ANTG, that 10-year deal with the EU, $92 million. Number one, if you could tell the background of it. And then two, why would Germany order all this cannabis from you? Why don't they just make it them grow it themselves? That's a great question. Well, so answer your first question. So, yeah, ANTG, they're based out of Armadale, which is a town in sort of western New South Wales. They're a private company. They've been up and operating for quite a while now. They were the first company to bring Australian cultivated flour to the to the prescription market here. Okay. So they they were the second I think they were the second Australian company to bring. I can't remember. Anyway, they're, they're one of the forerunners, right? Um, but uh, but they're a private company, so you know many people don't hear much about them because they track the public markets. Right. Um, but yeah, they've they've been kicking goals behind the scenes. So they've got uh, flour products out now, which is great. They've been awarded their manufacturing license. So their next suite of products will be some um, some standard sort of uh, cannabis oils, yep. oral oils. Um, yeah, that they're they're an exciting company. Yeah, and and from what I hear, their products are are are, are high quality. That's the feedback I get from from patients. So that's, that's nice. Good. The 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 export is to a German pharmaceutical uh, distribution company, I, I believe. So some German companies decided that they want to buy ten million dollars or ninety million dollars worth of of, uh, of cannabis flour, which is cool. And the reason they want to do that is because the German government's been dragging their heels on domestic cultivation for a long time. Yes. <laughs> and you know they're going out for tenders and this, that, and the other thing. And you're like, well, uh, yeah, it seems like a very German way to do it. Um, yes, it is yeah. a German way to do it. Absolutely, <laughs> Reese. Yes. 100%. Mind you, like, you know, between, you know, if you've got Germany on one end of the spectrum and Canada on the other end right. of the spectrum right. with untold millions of, you know, kilo, you know, kilo million, tons. Was it, was it, yes. A, a, a million, like, a, of inventory just sitting there waiting to be right. destroyed. Right. You know, uh, neither neither of those extremes seem particularly efficient to me. Right. Um, yeah. And so, Mark, so, so in, in to, to expand on what Reese is saying, so Germany has three or four, maybe five license holders, but they're all in the process of building out their, their grows. And um, it's just taking a while, and they have over 100,000 patients there, and they're going up. It's, it's on a pretty good clip, you know, so they're doing pretty well. So they're basically surviving off of imports. And the challenge with the international trade market, and, and uh, Reese, if you could speak to this, is paperwork. Paperwork, 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 rules and laws, and so it, it just takes so long. So so companies could have product around the world, but if they don't have the right paperwork, and when I say paperwork, I mainly mean uh, good manufacturing practice certification, uh, good agricultural practice certification, and these have to be gotten through the uh, received through the EU. Well, the beauty of Australia is that they've already followed EU rules for years. Isn't that correct, Reese? Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we we share a lot of similarities in terms of health product regulation with um with the eu which is handy um you know and uh, and so uh it's relatively easy i mean it's challenging to cultivate a manufacturer in australia yeah. but it's relatively easy uh to then export those products to countries with strict regulatory requirements uh such as germany and you know 
yeah, and and within Germany, you know, each province might have, you know has has additional um, uh, criteria and, and tests and you know that kind of stuff that's required. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it can be a challenge. And this is why you know there's so much inventory sitting in Canada, right? Because right. that's all done under you know GPP or that you know their their right. their local um, different regulations, uh, and they don't follow EU, and so it just sits there where it could be used. So it is a challenge. Right. And then, Final question for you is. Well, no, I, no, no, I have one more question, I'm Mike. Sorry. I said I, I had two realize. questions okay, from the go start. Ahead. Go ahead. This is super important. Okay. So, Reese, is it okay for you to like Aquaman because even though he's from New Zealand, because his mom, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman, is from Australia? Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, well, actually, we, we, we have a very, a very long history in Australia of. Uh, rejecting new zealanders that we don't like and accepting the ones we do like as our own yes. so you know many people many famous australians are actually new zealanders but you know it doesn't really matter it, you know what goes around comes around right and except you know it's fine yeah all right good to know other Thank than you. that so the last question being where do you see australia fit into the asian markets as thailand and others start to come up well, Thailand's weird, right? Because they're very protectionist with their cannabis sector at the moment, which there is fine. Are, yes. But you know, looking looking forward to like you know South Korea and Japan, and you know maybe even Singapore at some point. We're, in time, seeing, we're seeing Philippines starting to make some noise. So yeah. Yeah, I mean these are you know these are big. I mean like I'm not particularly from a commercial purely commercial perspective. I'm not particularly excited or interested in um, say the Philippines, for example, but. Japan and South Korea, you know, these are countries that spend a ton amount of money on, on medicines, on cosmetics, right. on health products, you know, uh, China, obviously, you know, huge, you know, one of the largest, you know, economies in the world, massive and growing middle class, you know, these are all viable markets for Australian exports. The other cool thing is, you know, a lot of these countries, you know, especially you know, Asian countries have a long history with drugs and have really strongly held political and social uh, opinions about drugs. You know, I don't see, say, South Korea or Japan. I don't. I don't think it's very likely that they will end up at some point in the future doing domestic cultivation. You know, they'd probably rather keep that at arm's reach. Yep. And we um, we see is, that you know, too. Where Australia and New Zealand step up, right? So yep. we already export tons of uh, medicines, vitamins, supplements, baby food, uh, veterinary medicines. You know, uh, meat, poultry. You know, these are some of our largest exports to to Asia as well as iron ore and coal, unfortunately. Um, you know, so eventually I think that's where we'll probably fit into the puzzle. Yeah. But this is a long way down the track. I you agree. Know? Like Australia is only, you know, Australia perversely, you know, we're one, of, we're one of the world leaders in terms of legalizing medicinal cannabis, you know. And we're still struggling um, right. to, to make our system function domestically. So, you know, when, you know, when or if Japan ends up importing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cannabis grown in australia i don't know but you know that's a that's a possibility down the track well and what i see is long term is as the u.s moves australia will follow so if the u.s goes full legalization i see australia saying we better get in the game because that's the 90 percent of all legal sales are in america right now mm -hmm. so if australia can come up and help provide that that new need into america as well as asia it'd be great but, Reese, I yeah. really appreciate you having on the show today, giving us the down low on Down Under down in Australia. Thank you, Reese. Yes, nice, and guys. I definitely appreciate look it. forward to, to having you on a different time. But thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks. See ya. All right, Jesse, let's move into our Cannabis Entrepreneur. The Cannabis Entrepreneur Tip of the Day. Cannabis Tip of the Day, sponsored by Self Disrupt Branding Service. 
Self Disrupt is a modern day white glove personal branding service. If you need to be seen, they will get you noticed. If you have value to give, they make it more shareable in today's digital landscape. Bottom line is Self Disrupt strategically crafts your legacy through personal branding content. For more information, go to theselfdisrupt.com. Take it away, Mike. All right. So the entrepreneurial tip of the day is you bring value to the cannabis industry, even if you have zero experience in the cannabis industry. So most people who come to me, they're like, well, I want to get in and I don't know how to do it. Okay. And the first question I ask them is, well, what do you do now? Oh, I do this. Or I'm a, I'm a therapist or I'm a nurse or I'm a doctor or I'm a business person or I sell marketing services. So a lot of times people feel like they have to literally dump all their experience on the side and then somehow have to get a degree in cannabis or go to some cannabis school to to be able to get into the business. You can do that, but you don't have to do that. So where the cannabis space is right now is we're moving from a, how do I say this? We're moving from a non-professional market to a professional market. So if you come from a professional market, taxes, accounting, marketing, business management, logistics, supply chain, anything like that. Um, All those services are going to be needed in this industry. So there's so many different jobs that you can do. Like, for example, Jesse is our engineer and studio, and he's dealing with cannabis by dealing with us. So he didn't have to go out and sell weed. He was able to attract companies who are in the cannabis space in order to sit there and have uh, from a business and actually be in the industry. You don't have to grow it process it or sell it to be in the industry and that's what a lot of people don't understand and so that's what i want to let you know so an example of this is uh, i was speaking to the university of maryland they have a new master's in cannabis science and therapeutics program and i was speaking to their students we had a good q a this is probably a month right before christmas and i would ask all the students the same question and none of them can answer it it's a very simple question so i sat there and i said what do you plan to do with this degree And 100% of the people said, I don't know. So then I started exploring it and seeing which which person did what. So all of these people had advanced degrees, doctors, lawyers, PhDs in neurobiology, uh, masters of science in financial services. So everybody was a little bit different. And so once we started going down to each person, we started figuring out where they fit in. For example, I talked to a great lady who has a master's in public health. And I said, what do you want to do with this degree? I don't know. I, I want to get into the cannabis space, but I know I needed the knowledge. So I suggested, well, if I were you, this you're, you have the exact resume with the cannabis attached to go run an entire state-run program for cannabis. I said, you're exactly a master's in public health with a master's in cannabis. You would be perfect. And she said, I never really thought about that. That sounds great. So now she can kind of go back into her other industry of public health now with this newfound uh, knowledge and ability to really make an impact. And another gentleman, he was probably in his mid, mid-50s in the class. He had a master's in finance. So I asked him the same question. What are you going to do with your cannabis degree? And he said, I can't tell anybody that I'm going to school because I can get fired because in the finance world, you can't have cannabis degree. So I don't, uh, you know, I, I can't go back into finance. So I want to go into cannabis. I said, OK, what do you want to do in cannabis? He goes, I don't know. I want to grow, do a grow or I want to do a, a, a processing plant. And I asked him a very simple question. Have you ever done anything like that ever before in your life? <laughs> and he goes, no. I said, a suggestion would be you get your degree, you go to a headhunter, 
take your name off and then send your resume to all the financial institutions to to be able to get a job because as cannabis goes legal, then all the financial services are going to need what you do because it's going to go mainstream and they're going to need people who are who know the business who come in. And so you'll be able to get a job very quickly and move up whatever organization you're going to move up in. And he said, oh, my gosh, he goes, that makes total sense because nobody in this industry knows anything about it. I said, ding, 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 ding. I said, so you have the golden ticket. It's just a matter of how you figure out how to use it. So the tip of the day is you bring value to the cannabis industry, even without any knowledge of the cannabis industry. This is very important. Nice job, Mike. I like it. You like that? All right. So finally, let's move into our last segment, which is the Cannabis Champion of the Week. The Cannabis Champion of the Week. Cannabis Champion of the Week, sponsored by the World CBD Awards. If you want to be part of the world's only objective product awards competition, the World CBD Awards Conference and Gala is for you. For more information, go to worldcbdawards.com. Take it away, Mike. Okay, our Champion of the Week is an attorney, Karen Goldsmith, of law firm Goldsmith and Grout, which is based in Florida. Karen has been a tireless champion of medical cannabis in the state of Florida through the Florida Normal, and Normal is a national organization to reform marijuana laws. Karen's law firm focuses on the skilled nursing at home industry throughout the United States. Karen is one of the few people I know who has moved from the skilled nursing into medical cannabis, other than myself. Um, Now she's in her 70s, and Karen continues to volunteer to assist medical cannabis causes to enable more and more Florida citizens to legally have access to this amazing medicine and be a a speaker to older generations in Florida to, to mention the benefits of cannabis. If you know anybody else who should be deemed a cannabis champion of the week so we can bring highlights to what they're doing in this great space, please send me a direct message on LinkedIn. You can find me. It's Michael Patterson with U.S. Cannabis. We also, if you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe. The more people we can have on our shows, the more impact we can have to this world. Okay. And that's the end of our show today. My sign-off, and that's the way it is in the world of us today. The power of change is within all of us, and the world changes when we change. Really had a great time being here. We are a part of the Compassionate Army. If you watch this show or listen to this show, hashtag Compassionate Army. And always remember, we are all all we need. Till next time, thanks so much. Peace.